There, there's so much talent for us to discover that just goes unnoticed every year. And whether it's my own music or me supporting someone else, I really want to play a pivotal role there. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to Brown People We Know, an interview show where we explore the shared experiences and non-traditional paths of the South Asian American community. My guest this week is Kanika Patawari, a Belgium-born musician. Kanika was raised in a large Jain community out in Antwerp, Belgium, but moved to the United States to study contemporary music. She graduated from the prestigious Berklee College of Music in 2015 and then spent a year at Simon Cowell's label. Today she's released a few singles of her own, including Is It Over Yet? and Playing It Safe. She's also building a recording studio out in Mumbai to help the Indian music scene grow outside of the Bollywood genre. Kanika has also combined her passion for music with her interest in sustainability, founding Music Recycle, a company working to improve sustainability in the music industry. We talk about the plastic surgery clinic that she put on at the Desert Days Festival as a part of this initiative, about why there's an Indian community out in Belgium, and about how she's built her confidence despite studying alongside some of the world's best musicians at Berkeley. Without further ado, Kanika Patawari, welcome to Brown People We Know. I was thinking about it this morning. You're always flying between Antwerp, Mumbai, and Los Angeles. You must have like crazy air miles. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I definitely do. I, in fact, I think before Jet Airways uh, went kaput, I mean, I had, a, I had a ton of those jet miles, which unfortunately I think are somewhere lost in the air. But um, yes, <laughs> that is a benefit of it. So I actually want to start with Belgium. Belgium will always have a place in my heart. I know very little about it, but I know that they have a mandate that their chocolate has to be at least 35% pure cocoa. And for that reason, Belgium will always have a place in my heart. Absolutely. You know, it makes all of us a little snobbish about our chocolate. <laughs> As you should be. It's good stuff. But what was interesting to me is when I heard that you grew up in Belgium, you were born and raised in Belgium, I thought... Wow, like she must have been somewhat culturally isolated, right? Maybe like the only Indian or something. But I found out that you grew up in like a huge group of Jains. So what was that like? I would say, you know, I think there's definitely a ton of pros and a few cons, I think, with everything. I was born and raised there, so it's not like I knew what it would be like compared to anything else. So for me, that was just normal. I think growing up, you know, it was always very, very evident, you know, this is the Indian community, this is that community, this is that community. My parents also made the decision to move there when they had the choice within different areas of Europe. They made the decision of Antwerp because they wanted to raise us within, you know, the surroundings of an Indian background. So, you know, I think it's that typical idea where Indians outside of India tend to be holding on to the culture even more than Indians themselves these days. So I think it was definitely a really beautiful childhood. I got to experience all the cultural events and we were kind of in our own bubble, you know? I think like any town of Indians, when you have your society, the way things work, everybody knows each other. So it was, it was really nice in that sense. But I think because I was in such a sheltered bubble, surrounded by Indians, surrounded by 
a comfort zone, I was really looking forward to step out of that cocoon and be able to find myself. Was there a specific reason why there was an Indian community there? Was there like a migration event or, you know, why did your parents end up going there? They're both slightly different. The reason why there is a bunch of Indians there is because there's a really large diamond community. I think there is a statistic, don't, don't quote me on this, but I think one in every three diamonds in the world comes through Antwerp. A specific, you know, region in, in India, in Gujarat, you know, you have, uh, that's where your Diamond Central is generally. So I think over the years, even over some generations, you've had multiple families that have moved from Gujarat out to, to Belgium, to Antwerp and have settled there. So a lot of my friends, you know, they had been there for generations. So my parents, you know, they decided to move there, obviously, for being surrounded by that kind of culture. These are communities that have held on to their celebrations, whether it's the it's Paryushan and Jainism or everything, you know, it's done to the dot. So that's the reason why they chose to migrate there. To give you a little more context, though, my parents, both after they got married, they were working around Europe in different parts in Sweden and the Netherlands and Germany. And my dad, uh, he started his company in the recycling business around that heart of Europe area. You know, within that region, he had a choice and they knew they were starting a family. So it was pretty straightforward from there. Hmm. So does he call India home or does he call Belgium home? I think, you know, they've lived there for more than half of their lives now. So Belgium is definitely a home for them. But India is something that they're both really attached to. Maybe my dad more so than my mom. He grew up in a small village in Rajasthan, just a couple hours away from Bikaner. He's very attached to it. And I think he's passed that down to me, too. We love going there, giving back and spending some time there. So we're, we're very attached to India as well. My dad, I think, is the same. He's much more attached to India than my mom. It's only more recently that he started telling me stories, but they've been kind of strange. <laughs> I built a fire pit in our backyard. And so, you know, when the fire dies down, there's like charcoal and stuff. He started telling me about how like in his village, they would use the charcoal to brush their teeth. Wow. Yeah. I knew he came from like humble beginnings, but... No, I think I think that's that's the cool thing about little things about our culture. I think how they made the most of whatever was available to them. It doesn't matter. It's not like, yes, humble backgrounds or whatnot. If something is there and they find the maximum ways of making use of an, of an item, which I think is awesome. Hmm. I love that. And I do want to dive more into sustainability. But I asked you about where your parents call home. You personally grew up in Antwerp. You spent your holidays in Mumbai. And then you moved to Boston to attend the Berklee College of Music. You have quite a passport yourself. What place do you consider home? You know, that's a really good question. And I don't think I am I'm yet able to answer that in one line or in one word. I think there's beauty to every single city that I've had the blessing to live in. And, you know, every, every city comes with their pros and cons. So I think I'd like to consider that they're all my homes. And I'm lucky to be able to shift from one home to the other. So it sounds like you feel equally connected, but in different ways. Definitely, definitely. So let's talk about music. What was interesting to me is a lot of artists, their origin story or their like how I got into music story is I picked up the guitar and it just felt like ethereal. And it's like very, it's, it's kind of them in the spotlight. But from what I've heard for you, it started with a concert that you attended when you were 10 years old. So can you tell me about who you went to see and what about that experience stuck with you? Absolutely. So I know from a young age, I was just someone who would love singing around the house. I think there was always music at home. 
my mom was a classically trained dancer and my brother, you know, is an older brother. So everything he would do, I want to do. So he was taking piano lessons, drum lessons, guitar lessons. So I was having music around me quite a lot. In Belgium, you had all of these artists from America come and tour and perform. So that was, I think, one of the, the benefits of being in, in Belgium, even though it's, it's not the largest country of Europe. Everyone would come there. So the first concert I went to was Destiny's Child of which Beyonce was a member of, for those who don't know. <laughs> and I think for me, just attending that concert, it was in this large stadium. And I think the, the energy of everyone just screaming and enjoying the music. And I think that was just, it was such an impressionable moment for me at that age that this is so awesome. The music is amazing. Look at their choreography. Look at their the production, everything was just so inspiring to me that I said to myself that, that day that this is what I want to do. I don't know how, what, where, when, but this is the world that I want to go into. So that really left a mark on me. Well, it sounds like it was more than just the song, but it was also just the environment and the vibe. That it was really everything. Absolutely. And in 2014, you had kind of one of those moments of your own. You got to perform with A.R. Rahman. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me the story behind that? But I'm also curious, growing up in the States, if I was up on stage with, let's say, Drake, like that would be a very different personal connection than A.R. Rahman. So I'm wondering, was he someone that you grew up listening to? I think most of us as South Asians, we can recognize the name, right? Definitely. So yeah, I think coming to that, I mean, that is an extraordinary performance that I was a part of. The whole team, uh, our teachers, the people who put it together, you know, shout out to Annette, Philip and Clint. They're the ones who made it happen. And I think for us kids, you know, for me, coming to Berkeley in itself was a, a really big widening of everything that is possible in the music industry. And within those few years, to grow so much, to be able to share a stage with the legend himself was really, really, really a milestone. I think, you know, alongside all of those rehearsals, the preparation for the event, what also came out of it was a beautiful family of friends. It was the ARMAN show. So we were rehearsing like crazy and day in, day out, we were seeing each other. I think we grew uh, uh, to become a beautiful family of friends. And, you know, when the day came and he, he came into our rehearsal the day before, everyone was just quiet because, you know, the maestro was there. And I think we were all just in awe of him physically being there. We were all really nervous. And we had no idea. Uh, I think I, d I don't think any of us could have anticipated how how much love these uh, performances got on YouTube after. Overall, I just look back at it as a very, very amazing, heartwarming, once in a lifetime experience. And it was just I'm so grateful that I got to do it. Do you have any other performances or moments like that that really stand out to you? I wouldn't say maybe performances of my own. I don't consider myself too much of a performer. I think I'm more of a, of a creator. I'm more of a, you know, consumer. I don't think I would be able to give that answer any justice because I have no other concerts that I think were, that I was a part of. But I think for me, concert after concert, after I attended that Destiny's Child concert, I made sure to attend every single Beyonce concert that was in my city. And uh, I will say it shamelessly, I know whatever some people might say, but 
to me, she has such an impact on, I think, not only just her music or whatever it is. I think there is so much more to having someone as an icon to look up to, whether it's, you know, her artistry, the way she uses her platform to uh, relay her messages, her stories, how she backs up her community. I think those are the things that I really try to pick up from her and, and I want to emulate in my career. So in, in 2019, you started dropping your own singles, to your point largely a consumer before then, but definitely a creative as well. So you dropped Is It Over Yet? And now you've had Playing It Safe and like a few other songs. I love the video for Playing It Safe because it's so nostalgic to me because it's in a sari shop, right? And then they go to one of those gold stores. <laughs> yeah. I just have these childhood memories of being like stuck in the gold store while my parents were picking out something. But it's funny to look back on those moments. So your music itself, to me, it's very mellow and smooth. Who are your musical influences? Wow. Um, who are my musical influences? I think around that time, I was listening to a lot of Aluna George, Solange. These days, I listen to a lot of SZA. I think these are the kinds of vibes that I've been going into a lot. Um, my style has been changing a little bit over the last, I think over the pandemic, I've had a chance to create a lot. So I think there is more up-tempo music in the works on the way, which I think a lot of my, my friends are like, where, where is the party music? <laughs> it's really funny. But, but I think mellow is, is just the perfect expression of who I am as a person. And that's kind of what comes out naturally to me. I think I'm also someone who maybe doesn't only just listen to one artist. I'm a huge Spotify streamer and I love their playlists that they have, their algorithm for you to find and discover new artists. So I, I might not be just listening to one artist. I just listen through them through those playlists and I add in or I save whichever ones that I like and I just listen to them until I get tired of them, for example. So I think I'm, I'm a very loose listener in terms of that. I do enjoy listening to a variety of such urban, sorry, urban is, is a blacklisted word lately. Um, <laughs> uh, R&B, pop, dance, dance hall. I've been listening to a lot of Afrobeat lately. I think these are my vibes that as I grow older, I think they just keep getting, they keep changing. Yeah, I can relate to that. I definitely, I'm listening to country and then I'm listening to electronic and sometimes I'll just type in like Japanese opera or Italian rap and just see what comes up, you know? I love it. <laughs> but also, I am so geeked to hear about your influences because when I heard your song, I was like, I swear I was listening to SZA. It just completely came through. The vibe was I'm like 100%. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> you made so my funny. day. Thank you. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, like I said, I, I just like the moment I heard the song, I could tell. That was so cool. <laughs> Yay. I'm so glad to hear that. So outside of performing music, you've done a bunch of notable things, one of which is that you're starting a recording studio in Mumbai. It stands out to me because when I grew up listening to Telugu music or Hindi music, the songs I knew were all from movies. And even now, if I pull something up on my Spotify, the cover art is never of the artists it's always of a movie poster 
Yeah, so I think our culture is so rich because of all these Bollywood movies we've grown up seeing. And, you know, we all love them. I personally love them growing up outside of India. I think that's what has contributed to my my knowledge of Hindi as well. Um, but I, I think that something that I always noticed, maybe more so late, I know in the middle there was a phase where you had a few artists releasing their albums, I think around the 90s or early 2000s. But off late, I just, you know, I think we all realize and notice that everything is so Bollywood heavy that if you want to sort of want to sort of make it big in India, it generally has to come through a movie. That's generally the best platform you can go through, which is which is amazing. I think it's amazing if if people are able to do that. What I feel is that it also leaves behind this entire, basically the rest of the country, the rest of the artists. Because if you're not doing music that's a style of a movie, then it's not getting the forefront that it needs. I think I always noticed that. And growing up, you know, you grow up with such an artist culture. You know, you mentioned SZA or, you know, these other artists. And for me, it was Beyonce. You know, you have these people that you look up to that are musicians, that are being themselves, that are known for who they are as, as human beings. Whereas over here, artists are known for which song they were playback singing for. And, you know, it might not necessarily relate to their personality. So I think I, I was just really excited about this idea of an artist culture. And I really want to be part of this movement that's growing out here in, in India to grow that artist culture, to find these artists, to give them platforms. In Bombay, you have the you have the hip hop scene that's growing a lot. You've got an indie scene. You've got your Punjabi music. You have so many things that are happening here that are slowly growing and almost erupting over the last few years. What's missing, though, I think, is proper infrastructure within the music industry. I think there's a lot of people who are willing to do things, but I don't think, you know, compared to the West, I think we still can organize ourselves a little bit better. And I'd like for my space, for my recording space, to be almost like a nurturing center for artists to be able to come do your recordings, do what you got to do, um, come and learn how to produce, come and network, come and meet each other. You know, maybe we'll host some clinics and workshops to teach you how to do certain aspects of things that you wouldn't maybe know. Uh, basically, I think the education that I had at Berklee College of Music, I think that was so wonderful. It taught me a lot. Yes, you know, there were many things that I learned on the road as well. But the education that I got there, I, I think that I'd love to be able to find a way to share that onwards in India. And there's so many aspects to it. There's engineering, there's film composing that we're already a, a pro at. There's so many different things that I would love to introduce over here. And if it has been introduced, great. Let there be more people doing these kinds of things. Because we're a country of one billion people and plus more outside of the country. And I think that there's so much talent for us to discover that just goes unnoticed every year. And whether it's my own music or me supporting someone else, I really want to play a pivotal role there. It's amazing. The passion is definitely coming through. <laughs> I'm curious then, you're talking about artist culture, the knowing of the actual artist, which again goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's much more than just the music. What do you look for in an artist? Are you mostly looking at the music and saying like, I can develop the rest or is it a personality that you're looking for? 
I won't be personally looking for an artist or anything as myself yet. You know, maybe down the line, I think I would love to dip my toes in, in A&R and scouting. But I think right now when I say an artist culture, I think there's an idea of identity. There's an idea of do they have their own music videos? Do they have any, any videos of them performing at all? Is there like a signature style that they have visually? And vocally, is there a signature style that they have that they're honing into and not just, you know, trying to sound like, uh, you know, maybe the actress that they're trying to be a part with? So I think to me, it's it's the whole package. I, I, I think it's tough for it to for us to identify the one thing. I think also the audience, the audience is smart. They can tell when somebody's being genuine or when they're not, right? When you're trying to be someone, you know, Mr. Cool Guy or whatever, and it's not working. You know, that's why I think even even in the West, we see so many people who are trying, but they're not able to be their true selves or it doesn't come across in their music or, you know, they might be something that's been packaged to sell. So, but that works as well in its own ways so I think me personally I'm just a fan of of honesty in an artist I'm just a fan whatever that honesty is like even if it is you know rapping or just singing country music or whatever it is that doesn't matter I think as long as there's honesty in what you're doing I think that's the beauty of art in our culture that's what you can really embrace and enjoy yeah it definitely appeals to people I think even with this podcast a lot of it is vulnerability. If people are more open and honest in their conversations, like that's, that's when you see podcasts tend to take off. So initially, my impression was that you were kind of looking for people. And part of that came from the fact that after Berkeley, you interned with Simon Cowell's label, and I think you were actually looking for artists. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you about that. So I was I, I got myself an internship at Sony Music in LA. I was working at Simon Cowell's label and we were, I had just entered at the time where One Direction had decided to call it quits and One Direction was under the label that I was working at. And so I think there was this feeling that we need to, we need to fill that gap up of a boy band. And I was lucky enough to be part of this, the search, the, the selection and the developing of this band, which is now called Pretty Much. You should look them up. They're pretty, they, we've got some really cool music. And, you know, I think that kind of planted the seed of talent management, not management, but maybe talent scouting. I think the idea of looking at the music industry with that angle, I mean, it's Simon Cowell's label. Like that's, you know, he does things that will will sell. You know, he he does things that are going to be massive, that are going to be global. So I think to me... That was a, an amazing insight into that world that I would love to bring onwards. And that's kind of where I think my interest in India started. And uh, I had some people, some colleagues in L.A. who were who have also been pretty interested in the Indian music industry. So there's a growing, I think, interest in what India is doing across the fields. And I wanted to be a part of that, which is why I started my studio idea. And I think it's more of a long term plan. Where down the road, of course, this is a space and we can do anything that we want with the space. So I'd love to see what it grows into, what comes naturally, but we can do anything. If we happen to come across someone that we think needs backing, by all means, let's do it. I'm excited to see where this goes. Thank you. So uh, I have to ask, did you ever meet Simon Cowell? And if you did, did he ever insult you? <laughs> Simon Cowell is probably one of the sweetest people that I met uh, in the music industry out there in LA for a little bit. He, he was so kind, so sweet. He met all of us. I had the chance to meet him once um, while I was working there. Very briefly, uh, I was an intern, but you know, he was kind enough to meet all of us. 
But then a few years later, I met him randomly in London, and he happened to remember me as well back then. So it, it was, I, he's, he's a really sweet guy. And I think, I think he knows why he's being mean, because <laughs> that's working <laughs> for the <this> show. <laughs> I'm just teasing. So it's really funny because him and Gordon Ramsay, I think they get such a bad reputation from the TV shows. But like, if you go and watch Gordon Ramsay's YouTube channel, He's the most wholesome person. Like he'll be like bouncing around while he's chopping an onion because he's he so excited like about such a, He looks like such a sweet dad with all his kids there as well. A hundred percent. He's a cool guy. Yeah. So because you're too cool to stop at making music and setting up a studio, <laughs> you also started Music Recycle, which admittedly, like when I first heard about it, I was a bit confused and did a little bit of a double take until I heard you speak about like the impact of concerts, right? So the water used for cleaning, the carbon emissions to get to the concert, the plastic left behind. Can you talk more about Music Recycle? What is it and what is the impact that you're hoping to have with it? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to give you a little context. So I grew up in a family which our family business is in the recycling world. Pretty much my entire life, our, our dinner table conversations were on plastic, rubber, wood, paper, and waste. So that's kind of like the context that I grew up in. But I think, you know, just from day one, I was like, that's that, but music is my world. When you grow up, you get a little older, you go to college, you graduate. And I think I started to see the connections that all these sort of alerts that these reports were getting to you that plastic waste, climate change, global warming, all of these things, I think, started to make a little bit more sense to me in my head. I had this realization that me being me, the daughter of a family business that's been in the recycling world, I didn't even fully understand what the issues were. Just imagine the amount of ignorance that the rest of the world has. So I took that as my motivation, that I have access to the entire recycling industry thanks to our, our company, Gemini Corporation. I went to Berkeley. I've been in L.A. I've met a few cool people out there. I thought that it would be great for us to be a liaison between both industries to really find opportunities, to seek out opportunities that we can implement the idea of sustainability in something that's already happening in the music world. So yeah, one, one example of that is concerts, is festivals. I think, you know, if you were to just take a second to think about the amount of waste that is produced as, at a festival, it, it's mind-boggling. But I think it's also cool that recently, you know, I think ma mainly in the last couple of years, festivals like Glastonbury in, in the UK and, you know, various others are starting to do some things about it. I think why Music Recycle is so interested in festivals is because you have such a large amount of people, such a large crowd of people who are receptive to what you're saying, who are there for fun, who are there to enjoy themselves. And if within the experience of attending a festival, you subconsciously place the idea and the messaging of sustainability, you know, a lot of our festivals do it right now where you have this, you know, buy, buy a drink, bring, bring back your cup and you get a discount or you get, you know, you get a dollar back or what, whatever. I think those are really good starting points, but I think what we want to do is look at it in a more holistic way where, yes, there's a forefront, there's also a back front. Uh, how is your trash being managed? How, how are we you know, getting rid of it? So we want to look into getting involved in that aspect more. What we did recently actually was very interesting, was more in the front face where we put this experience together for these festival goers at a festival in California. It was Desert Days Festival out there. 
And we worked with this nonprofit, Global Inheritance, and we put this idea together, which was called Plastic Surgery. The idea was, is that you're in California, you see a tent called Plastic Surgery, and you're wondering what this is. So we kind of made it a little bit like a doctor's visit, where you come in, you fill out a form, you get an appointment with the doctor. And this doctor is basically telling you that these are the things that you're using that are bad for the environment. You know, your single-use plastic here, you can switch it with this, with this, with this. And then they give you a prescription and you have a pharmacy right next to it, a plastic-free pharmacy, in which we were giving away items like reusable boxes or, you know, whatever, you know, reusable bags. So the idea was in a fun way to give everybody, um, you know, quick tips on how you can make little changes on your own. So I think that's why festivals is one avenue that we're really excited in. But I think that an issue like this needs to be solved really at the core of it. We're, tra- we're in talks with some music instrument manufacturers to see if we can you know, convince them to switch their materials to more sustainable materials, to recycled materials, so that we can reduce the waste as a whole, as an industry, and let it be more of an industry-wide movement rather than just you know, one thing at a time. Because, I mean, it's music, right? Every, every, everyone enjoys music, whether you know, you're in this corner of the world or the other corner of the world. And it's a language that everyone understands, and you're more willing to hear what the other person has to say so we we just want to use that platform this is interesting to me because at this point you're basically managing people across asia europe and north america like building the studio in mamai but while you're traveling while things are happening in la there's like the creative side of music which is what you went to school for like the production side and then there's kind of this business of music this business of sustainability it's a very different skill set how did you learn all this stuff as you were kind of going along? Um, well, you said it. As we go along, we learn. <laughs> um, I think growing up in the family that I'm from, we like to say that business is in our blood. I think it took me a, a while to discover it. My passion was always, first and foremost, music. I think when I got to college and I, you know, I saw my friends coming to me for advice on, you know, how do I market this concert that I'm doing or how do I do this? And I found not only did I feel like I had somewhat of an idea, I also enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the idea of, you know, putting together a plan or a strategy for someone to execute and move forward on. So I would still say I'm not the most business savvy person myself, but I feel like I'm surrounded by people, by amazing mentors, by amazing people who can guide me, my family included. I found some incredible mentors in the music industry themselves. So I think that's been the key reason for me to continuously believe that I can do all of these things. And I think at the top of it stand my parents. They, they're the ones who have, you know, have never made me feel like it's something that I can't do. Whether it's me as a singer, whether it's me as a performer, me as, a, as an environmentalist or, or a businesswoman. I think that push that I got from their belief in that Anything that you set your mind to, you can achieve. It sounds like a lot of this is more that you're taking the different things that you're passionate about and then blending them together as opposed to saying, like, I'm a musician, I'm going to transfer that skill set over here, right? Absolutely. The work that your dad has done is really impressive because it seems like he was at the forefront of the circular economy. I'm wondering if you could speak about maybe some of the other mentors you've had along the way. Like, you, you mentioned that, you you know... At the dinner table, you're talking about rubber and plastic, which I thought was funny. But who else have you kind of met along the way that has had an influence on you? 
I'm going to mention a couple of people. I think when I first moved out to LA and I was interning at Sony Music, my supervisor, his uh, father was actually someone who was a really strong mentor to me. His name is Peter Bonetta. He is someone who used to be a phenomenal, or well, still is a phenomenal drummer. He played in this band called Playing for Change. So he's went around the world playing for the idea of social impact. And he's someone who, you know, of course, his sons both work in the music industry and they've created their own team of songwriters. And these are the songwriters making music for Maroon 5, Dua Lipa, um, all of your pretty large commercial names. So I think being with him, that was an energy that taught me to be fearless. That was an energy that taught me that it doesn't matter, you know, wherever you are in whatever stage of your life, just keep at it, just keep believing in it and have confidence in what you're doing. I think that's where I truly learned the idea of confidence is my presence in LA. Something about that city, I think, just helped me be more comfortable with who I am. I think it's just the idea of that city accepting all sorts of people, no matter who you are, how you are. I, I, I do come across a lot of people who don't have the same experience, but to me it was really a, a, a freeing city that helped me really evolve as a person. So that had a huge impact in me on my early 20s. And more recently so, I've met someone over here in India, in Bombay. Her name is Priyanka Kimani. She is an entertainment lawyer. And she, you know, she represents, you name it, and their mother in this town. And just being with her and seeing, you know, the kinds of rooms that she has to sit in and, you know, being in the position that she is, the kinds of people that she has to deal with. And when I hear her stories, I think it's so motivating to see a woman in such a position who has, you know, she's calling the shots in, in these rooms. And I think that those are the kind of role models that I'd love to surround myself with. And I'm hopefully we'll be working with her soon as well. Especially in India, that's a big deal that she is, you know, holding such a high position. You've got your hand in so many different things, it seems like. And, you know, the other thing about getting involved in these types of projects is if you're at a corporate job, you kind of go in, you come out, there's a there's a level of safety to them. Whereas if you're starting your own studio or you're building Music Recycle, it's a little more ambiguous, like where you're headed next. So do you ever feel overwhelmed? by these projects and how do you go about, you know, fighting that feeling? I think it's tough not to be overwhelmed <laughs> at certain times. I think especially when you realize quickly that things don't always go your way. I think for me, one of the biggest learning lessons was when I came out to India to embark on my studio project. And here comes this, you know, European American chick in Bombay trying to get involved in the construction business. And the construction world is a whole other ballgame out here. And very quickly, I think it took me, you know, maybe a, around a period of the first year to realize that, you know, things don't really work easily out here, that there's a lot of, you know, you have to change the way you talk to people, you have to change the way that, you know, you are convincing people. Working in India, I think, teaches you a lot about leadership skills. It teaches you a lot about how to get what you need done. And for me, it took a long time to adjust to that, especially so because um, getting in something as simple as getting permissions for my building. It's been two years and I still don't have all the permissions. And I think that has taught me a great deal of patience. It's taught me a great deal of certain things are out of your hands and that sometimes you just kind of have to go along with what 
things are taking you as because, you know, the goal has always been there. And it's, I've never shaken from that thought that I don't want to have a studio. That's what the goal has been. But, you know, you're going to be hit with obstacles and it can be disheartening because me as someone I used to think, is this my cup of tea? Am I, am I able to, am I going to be able to convince these people to do things? But I think you have to learn those leadership skills along the way or find a way to learn them. Actually, a really interesting tip that I'd love to share that I think has helped me a lot is something that my dad told me to do. He said that if you ever have something that you, you feel like, you know, you're, you're weak at or you want to get better at, very simple. In the morning, you know, when you get up, you're brushing your teeth, you know, you're going to take a shower, you're getting ready. All of that time, if you just play a quick YouTube video behind while you're doing whatever you need to do, you might pick up maybe even 10% of what that video is telling you. And that'll maybe teach you one extra point for you to go through whatever stage you're in. So for example, if you want to learn leadership skills or how to become more confident or how to do X, Y, Z. So I think that's a habit that I've tried to instill in me is that just always have something playing in the background in the morning because who knows what you might pick up. Yeah, that really compounds over time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Similar question, but as a musician, do you ever find yourself comparing yourself to other artists or feel overwhelmed by the creative process? Sure. So I think I, I could probably speak at length at this. Um, that's one of the main reasons why it took me until just a couple of years ago to start releasing my music. I think as a, as a child, as, as a teenager, I was super shy. I was, uh, you know, very, you know, in my own zone, wasn't really sure how to talk to people. Coming to America helped me change that. It helped me open up. It helped me, you know, learn how to talk <laughs> to people and just, you know, find my personality a little bit. But I think obviously stemming from that shyness came, you know, various insecurities that artists have going to one of the best music colleges in the world where you're surrounded by the world's best, best of the best talent. It all had an impact on me. I'm not going to lie. It all, you know, sort of made me feel, you know, is my music good enough? Is, is this good enough? And, you know, you find yourself comparing, especially when you're sharing a classroom and your assignment is to make a song, you know, you're going to compare yourself that, oh, their song was better than mine or whatnot. And it's so easy to go down that staircase. So I think it took me moving to LA and being away from all of that noise to, you know, being by myself, not knowing anybody in this brand new city to really sit with myself and, and really just explain to myself. I would just have these, I know it sounds silly. I would just have these conversations with myself to really tell myself that comparing myself to other people and you know these days even with social media it just adds on to everything comparing myself to other artists and my peers it all it did it just made me feel bad and making me feel bad made me get absolutely nowhere and I think when I kept sort of pounding that into my head over time, it has become a little bit of a habit of mine where whenever I see someone, and in fact, I think I may have heard another artist say something like this. Literally, what I can do, you can't do. My voice will never be yours and your voice will never be mine. The kinds of experiences that I have had in my life, you will never have had. And same thing, vice versa. So whenever I find myself comparing myself to anybody else, I think instantly that red flag comes up that they have had an entirely different view of the world and a different journey of the world. And I think that's just something that I just keep have kept on just knocking into my head. And I try to spread that to as many people as possible because I feel like there's a lot of people that get stuck in this rut of comparing themselves to others. And that holds them back as it did to me. 
it took me a really long time to feel comfortable to have the guts to release my own music. And when I did, I was like, oh, that wasn't too bad. Let's, let's do another one. So I think for me, it was a really long journey on working on my self-confidence in being okay with whoever I am and being okay with my journey. And I would say I'm still working on it, but I've come a long way that no matter what happens at the end of the day, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, that's all that matters to me. Absolutely. I love that. And it's it's such a shame that it stops so many people, right? We we never would have heard your SZA vibes if you hadn't exactly. <laughs> so I I know we're coming up on time. I've got a couple just kind of final questions. So music is like a universal thing around the world. Any country you go to, any city you go to, there's going to be some form of music. So why did you choose to come to America to study music? Growing up in Antwerp, there's usually, you know, one of two places or three places that people go to study, which is mainly the UK or nearby, you know, in Europe within somewhere on the continent or people go to the States. From an early age, I knew I wanted to study music. I just, I wanted to pursue an, an education in that for sure. Uh, my dad did try. He was like, are you sure you don't want to do music with economics or something? <laughs> and I, I was able to stand by my ground. Then a, a high school counselor told me about Berkeley, and they were like, there's this music college and they do contemporary music. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But my parents, they quickly shut that down. And, you know, a year went by and I was looking at these conservatories in, in the UK and they all just seemed a little classical heavy. So I was like, mm, let's see what happens. But that's when my brother came to the rescue. He was like, just fill out your application. I'll handle the parents. So I think it became a kind of, it wasn't really an, an America thing. It was just a Berkeley thing where I wanted to go somewhere where I'll have really my, my mind broadened and there would be so many things happening there. It's, it's also, you know, not to say it's one of the, it's one of the most prestigious music schools out there. And to be able to have an opportunity to go there was super exciting for me. Once I applied, I got a, I got a call for an audition and, you know, I think one, one thing led to the other and I got everyone's support and I made it out there. And I literally, I was in the dark. None of my family members had ever gone to study in America. So it was brand new, but it was, it was super exciting. As you're moving around and circling between different places, how do you hold on to your Indian and Belgian culture? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, and is it important for you to hold on to those things? I absolutely do believe so. I, I think it, it's not necessarily only just Indian. I think whoever my identity is, I think it, it's a combination of everything that I've grown up seeing, right? As everyone's is. And, and yeah, sometimes I think growing up, there was a bit of an identity crisis without me knowing it. But I think over time, what I've loved to do is kind of pick and choose things that I like and I don't like, whether it's in my favorite artists or whether it's in the religions I was exposed to or whether it's in my family or business or everything. If I see something and I'm like, okay, I think that's a really good value, I'd like to hold on to that. I kind of, I, I would like to say that I found a way to really build up my personality because honestly speaking, like I'm not even kidding. In school, I was just so protected. I, I was so, and I'm the, I'm the youngest daughter of a family of four and all three members of, in my family are very dominant personalities. So I was very much, you know, the meeker one, you know, okay, if that's like this, mom's like that, brother's like that. 
I didn't know who I was. So I think, you know, once I left my safe comfort zone, I kind of would look to other people that I admire and would try to, you know, emulate them in that sense and, and build myself up since then. So even even up until today, if I see something that I admire in someone, I try to find a way to instill it in, my, in myself. So I try to avoid looking at it as Indian or Belgian or however it is. I think it's just values that everyone has that they live by and... So we have so many options. You look around you and you see, okay, I like that. Let's add that to my uh, combination. So that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, that's definitely the beauty of the diaspora, right? Is that you get exposed to so many different things and you can pick and choose. Exactly. Kanika, this has been such a fun conversation. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. So before we sign off, just where can people find you if they want to follow you, follow your music, follow your work? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram. My name is at Kanika Padawari. And through Instagram, you'll find a link to my YouTube. You can find me on Spotify. Everything is interconnected. If you just search my full name, you'll find me online easily. Also, I just realized that I've been saying your name wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Kanika. It's totally fine. Don't worry. There's actually a different pronunciation for both my first and last name, depending on what part of the world you're in. So that's totally fine. Cool. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's Suraj. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for reaching the end of the episode. Hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you did, please take a moment to share with a friend or leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. If you want to follow along in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at bpwk podcast. See you on the next episode. Stay well.